See, my mule don't like people laughing. It's the crazy idea you're laughing at him. Now, if you apologize like I know you're going to, I might convince him that you really didn't mean it. I'm Paul Bishop, your host for this installment of Six-Gun Justice Conversations. These are bonus downloads where my co-host Richard Prosh or I get to hang around the virtual Six-Gun Justice podcast water cooler, talking with friends and fellow writers who are also fans of the Western genre. With me today is Mike Haas, who has become my go-to guy for all things to do with spaghetti westerns. Mike is a writer who lives in Cincinnati, Ohio, and has contributed articles to numerous pop culture publications, as well as three acclaimed books on horror films. Mike is the author of Spaghetti Westerns Volume 1 and Spaghetti Westerns Volume 2, which are simply packed with information and photos. He's also the editor of the Spaghetti Western Digest, the first issue of which has recently been released. Both of his Spaghetti Western books and the Spaghetti Western Digest are available on Amazon. Hello, my friend. How are you? Thank you, Paul. Glad to be here. I appreciate it. My pleasure. I think what you're doing is really worthwhile digging into. The depth of information that you come up with in the Spaghetti Western volumes and in the new Digest version is invaluable to preserving the history of these films. I think as the participants of the genres start to pass on and time gets between them and the films they may have appeared in or worked on, that it's important at this point to gather as much of this information as we possibly can and put it into a written form. What I'm trying to do is spread the word of the genre, not just Leone and Corbucci, but the whole of the genre. Absolutely. These are niche interests. And if we as fans don't preserve this, it truly is going to get lost. Very true. Tell me how your love of spaghetti westerns began. I grew up in the late 60s, early 70s, when every UFH station had a Western matinee. Every weekend after the cartoons, I would start to watch the Western matinees, and I fell in love with them. My father was a avid reader of Western fiction, so there was always the books laying around the house. It was on television, and eventually I seen My Name is Nobody at the Drive-In and one or two other ones, but what really kick-started it for me was in 1981 when my brother and I went to see a film called Coming At You, which is Tony Anthony, who was a star of the Stranger films, as they're referred to. As in a stranger who comes to town, not as in true, Stranger films. True, 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 <laughs> true, true, yeah, it's quotation mark, Stranger. But we went to see this film with him, and in retrospect, the film is not very good. But at the time, I was engrossed with it, and I went home, and a couple days later in the local newspaper, there was an article about Tony Anthony, and I thought, well, someday I'm going to get to see these other films. It took the VHS era to come along, the mid-'80s, before I could actually get some of these films through the third part, the gray market, collector trading, and stuff like that. So it was rough going at the beginning, but I would say 81 marks my start. 85 really is when it started to kick into high gear with the collecting of all things spaghetti westerns, the hunting down of the tape. Obviously, it went on from there. I've written for all these other publications like on horror films, but my true love is spaghetti westerns. 
The types of filming techniques used on the Spaghetti Westerns, they were so different than what the American film industry was used to. What do you see as the major differences that influenced those Spaghetti Westerns in the early days? I'm a big fan of B-Westerns. Not just the 30s, 40s, some of the early 50s, Columbia, Republic, Monogram, but I'm a huge fan of going into the 50s, the mid-50s onwards, B-Westerns, as they got grittier and dirtier and nastier. If you read interviews with Spaghetti Western directors, all of them wanted that kind of dirtiness and grittiness added to their films. They talk about Ford or Walsh, these great directors. But it's these B-Westerns, in my book, influenced the genre, the close-up of the eyes, the blood. It's not all of a sudden they figured this out. Things just progressed. They were inundated with American films after World War II, especially Westerns. And they started to almost take these films as second nature. I read an interview with the director who said he thought the West was right outside of his door, that someday he could go out and dwell within that Western. They thought it was part of their culture. You say it's part of their culture because there are definitely cultural influences mixed in with the American Western in these films. They took those B-Westerns and they seemed to expand on them. Even though they wanted to be John Ford, what they were capable of at the time, their skill level, was these B-Westerns that they could emulate. They had to learn their skills. And I think there was a lot of that going on in the early Spaghetti Western. Absolutely. A lot of clones. There was some early directors like Joaquin Marchant, who was doing some Western clones, but he was adding some European culture, European sensibilities into the films. But a lot of the early ones were clunky. They're heavy films that are basically copies, and a lot of them are not very good copies. The early days of the genre, there was a lot of comedy, and that's where it sprang from. And then once they seen that the Western could be shot, of course, they progressed to March 63, made a couple of very highly regarded Westerns, and then eventually Leone came in 64. My thoughts on the whole thing was as much as American culture was shoved down the Italians' throats after World War II, and as much American Westerns that were pushed on them, to me it was a progression that was going to happen when they seen how profitable production deals could be that kickstarted everything and got the genre rolling. It was very inexpensive for them. They didn't ask for filming permits. They just went and filmed. They didn't have high-priced actors. They could get some American B actor to come out and front the film. So all of their costs were basically rock bottom, and that gave a totally different look to the films. That's a good point. You're right. And you have to realize, too, that these were craftsmen. They were taking these very good directors, very good writers, very good cinematographers, and they were working on these films. So it wasn't like you were getting grade Z personnel or crew behind the camera or even in front of the camera. You had accomplished actors and cast crew. So the whole thing worked wonderfully because you had experience there at how to actually make a film. They were a little rough at the beginning trying to figure out how to make a Western, but obviously they found their footing after the Leone film and everything started almost like a gold rush from there. Leone famously borrowed the plot for Fistful of Dollars and received a letter from Japanese director Akira Kawasawa congratulating him on making the film, quote, a very fine film, but is it my film? <laughs> <laughs> very and true. 
basically he had done a copy of Yojimbo mm-hmm. as a fistful of dollars and consequently surrendered the Asian rights to Kurosawa plus 15% of the international box office. Then they began to imitate each other, and the more incestuous the films became, but they also developed some of their own big stars, the Django series and films along those lines. Who were the stars in those films that really took over the genre? Italian-wise, as big as Franco Nero is, there's no denying Giuliano Gemma became a superstar with the first two Ringo films, A Pistol for Ringo and The Return of Ringo. They were looking for something after the Leone films to continue on with the process, and they found it in those two films. He really kicked the box office into high gear, and those two films made him a superstar of the genre, at least in Italy, and then eventually Spain and so on, to where it could actually say we could use a homegrown talent. I think Jim went under Montgomery Ford in those films. An Americanization of the name because they still wanted people to believe they were American films. And then, obviously, Franco Nero became probably the most iconic Italian Western actor. The quality of his films continued to be, at least Western-wise, superior throughout because he was surrounded with good directors, good producers, and there was always money available because he was a top-notch star. Giuliano Gemma began to lose a little bit of luster as the 60s went on. He was still a star, but some of the films that he got involved with would have money problems and stuff like that. But those two, in my book, are the two biggest stars, Italian-wise. Leone and the Fistful of Dollar films, which jump-started everything and changed everything, including the style of the close-ups on the face and the extended wait for the gunfight and all of that stuff, which, again, was taken to excess in some films. But Franco Nero in Coberci's Django changed the type of character from Clint Eastwood-type bounty hunter to a character who's torn between several motives, money and revenge, and his choices end up bringing misery to him, as opposed to the walk away with no emotional commitment to the film. Franco Nero's character really had some depth to it. And I think that began a second phase of the Italian spaghetti Western films. Do you agree? I agree with you. Absolutely. Up until that point, there were a lot of clones. They were still copying Hollywood Westerns. And then the Leone film came out and everybody started to copy that. But you said it perfectly. It added some emotion. If you think about A Fistful of Dollars, there's no emotion in the film. The man with no name defeats Ramon at the end. But honestly, when you walked out, you may have been exhilarated, but there was no emotional attachment. With Django, there's an emotional attachment. And that kind of goes with the vengeance type of plots or whatever. If they're properly built, they're excellent. But the problem with a lot of Italian Westerns is they didn't build that tension properly or that revenge properly. But in Django, you were introduced to the characters. With Clint Eastwood's Bounty Hunter, he was basically a sociopathic personality. He knows he wants money. He wants to achieve what his goal is, whether it's bringing in a bounty or discovering the gold, whatever it is. He's going to get that. And it's just a straightforward through line. With Franco Nero, what we got as viewers was more of an everyman that we could aspire to because he felt put upon at times. And that's where most people in the audience were coming from. Yes. He plucked at the heartstrings because you've seen his plight. Obviously, the protagonists on both sides were excessive, but that excessiveness helped build that animosity towards them and led up to the brilliant ending. And of course, Corbucci's always going to throw something at the ending to really knock you off kilter. 
So Corbucci had that in him to where he wanted to grab you, make you emotionally feel. He might have been a little floppier and his film's a little dirtier and grittier than Leone's. But as Italian directors go, he's definitely the second best director after Leone. If somebody doesn't know the history of spaghetti westerns outside of the Man With No Name films and Sergio Leone, what would you choose as three films to expose somebody to? That's a great question. And I've thought about that type of question a million times. It all depends on what a person is looking for in a film. If I was going to say there's some big, giant, large-scoped western, like $100,000 for Ringo, films that are broad in scope, give you kind of that classic American type of Western. But it all depends. There's some great vengeance films like Blackjack with Richard Harrison. There's horror-related ones like And God Said to Cain, Django, If You Live, Shoot, films like that. But just to pick three out, first one I would say is The Stranger in Town, which we had talked about earlier. They're basic. They just give you a kind of oversight of what the narrowness of the genre to a point good versus bad, the, the put-upon character who's almost a Clint Eastwood clone. A Day of Anger is a fantastic film with the younger character being taught by the older character. That was a plot device that was used in numerous westerns. And a third film, I would take an early 70s film when everything started moving out of Spain because the costs were escalating. So they were moving a lot of them back to Italy. Films like Tana vs. Django, that show the Italian side of things. They're grittier, they're dirtier. It's like I said, whatever a person is particularly interested in is, is kind of where they should go with this, like a film to kickstart it. I find it fascinating that as wide as the spaghetti Western genre is, there's also another filter down, and that would be the paella Westerns, which were Spanish versions of the Italian Westerns, and baguette Westerns, which were French versions of the Italian Westerns. They weren't necessarily copying the Americans, they were copying the Italians. Right. If you read enough on these, you see a lot of these being thrown into association with Italian Westerns or American Westerns. I don't really use those other terms because I think it's already confusing enough, let alone throw any more terms to divide it any further. It gets a little tricky after a while because there was over 500 of these films made. With the Spaghetti Western Digest, which is where you originally wanted to go as you built up from the two Spaghetti Western volumes, what is your goal with the Spaghetti Western Digest? Do you have a four times a year schedule? It was four times until this COVID-19 came. Hopefully we can resume that next year. We're probably looking at two, possibly three this year, and then four next year if everything works out. It's a market that's not very broad. When you're not making any money, you have to rely on contributors to be gracious enough to submit articles or pieces without any compensation besides a book. It's definitely a labor of love. I'm involved in the hot lead fanzine with Justin Marriott, and it is really time consuming, but we don't care because we're having a lot of fun with it. Is that the way you feel about this? You're doing it not for profit, but because this is something you're driven to do and enjoy doing? Since 1981, the fever hasn't let up. There's definitely a love. It is time consuming. It's not hard work, but it's labor intensive, trying to find the perfect pictures. I have people that send me stuff. I have a bunch of memorabilia here that I take pictures of. Even taking a good picture can be rough sometimes. It is a lot of work, but it is a labor of absolute love, yes. 
You told us at the beginning that the spaghetti Western genre really started out as comedies and then evolved into the spaghetti Western as we know it. But eventually, the cycle returned again as the spaghetti Western in around 1969 began to fall out of favor. The market was going away. All of a sudden, they went back to Western comedies again with the Trinity Westerns. Tell me a little bit about those and and how those affected the genre overall. In 67 and 68, there was over 70 films produced each year, which is a massive amount of films. With those films, there was less return and there was more shoddy production. There was more people jumping in basically for the financial gain or at least so they could make another movie. The product was getting worse and worse, filtered down, watered down, however you want to look at it. They Call Me Trinity came in late 1970 and rejuvenated the genre. Trinity is Still My Name came in late 71, and it really kicked the box office and became the highest grossing Italian Western in Italy ever. And again, it was that gold rush, temporarily. Everybody started to jump in and tried to make these Trinity clones, and most of them failed. There's some good ones. There's the two Providence films. There's a couple that George Hilton made, the Hallelujah films. But it was getting worse and worse. And then if you take something like a comedy, and the Italian sense of comedy is totally different than ours over here. To me, it was always a rough transition, a scene where a guy gets shot, and the next minute they're, it's a laugh out loud or whatever. It was basically over-the-top burlesque. True. It was. You're right. It got slapstick, broad kind of comedy, and that's because that's what was in Trinity. But Trinity's was Barboni who directed it. He took that mythology and he exploited it starting with the old sword and sandal films that transferred over into the Westerns. And all of a sudden, he just accelerated a hundred times. It made it to where it was lampoonish, but it, it worked in those films. And of course, you had two very good comedic actors in Hill and Spencer in that film. The genre was dying in 69. I think there was 30 films made, 70. There was a few more, 71. It started up again, maybe 40-something. The writing was on the wall. Much as people want to say the comedies killed it, it was dying before the comedies came along. If they would have stopped after the Trinity films, that would have been okay in my book. I know Leone hated those films. Maybe there was a little jealousy there because Trinity is still my name became the highest grossing Western. Thank you for being with us today. I appreciate your insights into the Spaghetti Westerns and wish you the best of luck with your projects and the Spaghetti Western Digest. I'm going to be reading each and every one as it comes out. Thank you, Paul, and thank you for the support. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out the Six Gun Justice website at www.sixgunjustice.com for information on prior Six Gun Justice conversations, Six Gun Justice speed listens, and full-length episodes of the Six Gun Justice podcast, along with regularly updated book reviews, articles, and interviews covering all aspects of the Western genre. Until next time, be kind to others, be kind to yourself, and look out for snakes in the grass. Adios. We're out of here.